0: Welcome to Abounding Grace, the preaching ministry of Pastor Sean Cole of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Thank you for listening. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church or to obtain full-length recordings of Pastor Sean's teachings, visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now, here's Pastor Sean. Good morning and welcome to Abounding Grace, the preaching and teaching ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Sean Cole and we want to let our listeners know about a very special um, event that we're going to be having in just a few weeks. On October 6th, Thursday nights at 6 o'clock, we're inviting all people who are interested in exploring Christianity to come to a seven-week course called Christianity Explored. Uh, It's a non-threatening safe place for you to ask questions about what it means to follow Christ, whether you're an atheist, whether you have a different belief system, uh, whether uh, you just come from a different background and you have questions. We want everyone to feel welcome to come to the seven-week course called Christianity Explored. It'll be starting October 6th at 6 o'clock p.m. at Emmanuel, There'll be a meal served beforehand. There's free child care. You can call the church to register at 522-1440. We'd love to have everyone come to Christianity Explored. Last week, we looked at a very controversial topic entitled, What Happens to Those Who've Never Heard the Gospel of Jesus? And to piggyback upon that topic, this week we're going to ask another controversial question, but I think it's one that a lot of people struggle with. It's one that's under attack today in evangelical circles, if you can believe that. And here's the topic for this morning. Is hell real and is it forever? What do we believe about hell? What does the Bible say about hell? Let me give you some shocking words This is the famous sermon from Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Listen to his words. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of pure eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times so abominable in his eyes as the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. There is no other reason to be given why you haven't gone to hell since you've sat here in the house of God provoking his pure eyes by your sinful wicked manner of attending his solemn worship. Yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a Reason why you don't, this very moment, drop down into hell. Shocking words. Now, a lot of times people don't go on and read the rest of the sermon where he presents the gospel. He talks about the beauties of Christ and the glories of Christ and the need to trust in Christ to escape hell. But do these words shock your system that we would truly come face to face with the reality of an eternal hell? There are many in our day that want to downplay hell they want to redefine hell they want to deny that hell is not eternal it is not conscious it is not torment as a matter of fact brian mclaren one of the leaders of the emergent church movement has said this about god in relation to hell He said, hell turns God into a deity who suffers from borderline personality disorder or some worse sociopathic diagnosis. Christians tell each other that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And if you don't love God back and cooperate with God's plans in exactly the way he prescribed, God will torture you with unimaginable abuse forever. This view has produced some dysfunctions of the Christian religion. What he says is very slippery. And he's trying to minimize God's justice, God's wrath, and he's trying to pit God's love against God's wrath. And we know that God is a God of absolute love and grace and compassion, but he's also a God of wrath, justice, and holiness. You see, the subject of hell is one of those topics that's rather unpleasant to discuss, but one that we must truly understand in order to uphold sound doctrine as well as effective evangelism not only affects your belief system, but practically it affects how you share Christ with others. There have been four major Christian views on the subject of hell. And I use Christian in, in quotations because I believe only one of them is biblical. The first view is the, what I call the historic Orthodox Christian view. This is the view that I hold to. It's the view that our church holds to. Hell is a real place of eternal conscious torment for those who die without a personal relationship with Christ. The second view is called the annihilationism view. Basically, this view states that after the wicked have suffered the penalty of God's wrath for a time, God will annihilate them so that they no longer exist. Lost people won't live forever in hell, but they will simply be destroyed after a time of punishment. It's not eternal conscious torment. They are simply annihilated. They cease to exist. The third view is what's called the the purgatory view. This is the the popular Roman Catholic view. It states that purgatory is is a place or a condition in the next world between heaven and hell, where those who have died need to be purified through suffering until the final judgment. Once they've suffered enough for their sins, they may be able to enter heaven. Now, the doctrine of purgatory does not come from the Scriptures. This comes from the Apocrypha, the non-inspired writings that that we as evangelical Protestants don't accept. It's from uh, 2 Maccabees, chapter 12, where it talks about Judas Maccabees going to the temple with an offering of silver to make atonement for the dead, that they might be delivered for their sins. And this has led Roman Catholics to um, embrace the doctrine of purgatory. The fourth view is basically similar to what we talked about last week, and it's the universalism view, which states um, everyone goes to heaven, and hell is really what we're experiencing in this messed up world right now here on earth, but God's going to make everything right in the end, and that there is no hell. Now, we can look at the intricacies of all these different views, but I would rather do a subject of the scriptures. What do the holy scriptures actually teach about hell so we're just going to do a litany of, of verses today to look and see what the biblical evidence is for the doctrine of hell let's start in the old testament first isaiah 66:22 through 24 for as the new heavens and the new earth that i make shall remain before me says the lord so shall your offspring in your name remain from new moon to new moon and from sabbath to sabbath all flesh shall come to worship before me declares the lord and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. This is an Old Testament picture of hell. It's fully uh, given a weight when Jesus reinterprets this scripture in the New Testament and gives more more meaning to it. But we see hints of this idea of eternal fire, that won't be quenched, the worm does not die. We see pictures of this in the Old Testament. But what does Jesus say? Matthew chapter 10, 28 through 31. Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. The term Jesus uses here for hell is the word Gehenna. It referred to the garbage dump really outside of Jerusalem in that day where criminals were buried and trash was burned continually. You would look outside the city of Jerusalem to the south and you would see smoke rising up as a visual reminder of the spiritual reality that hell is a place of eternal smoke. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus speaks of the final judgment where it talks about those that that came to his aid and clothed him and visited him in prison and, and gave him something to drink. And at the end of that, he says in verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus speaks of... Eternal punishment. Eternal punishment in hell. Mark chapter 9, verses 34-48. Jesus says, If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now there Jesus again quotes that passage from Isaiah that we just looked at. Jesus talks about unquenchable fire. He talks about uh, where the worm does not die. He, He talks about hell. As a matter of fact, just a side note, Jesus Christ talked more about hell than any other person in the Bible. And a lot of times people may say, well, you know what? The God of the Old Testament was so cruel and so mean and and he just punished people and and wiped people out, but the, the God of the New Testament is so loving and so compassionate. Yes and no. I would submit to you that God does not change. His character does not change. God is loving and merciful and you see grace in the Old Testament you see punishment in the Old Testament. The same thing you see in the New Testament. You see grace in the New Testament, but you see punishment in the New Testament. But if you just want to compare the intensity of punishment, the New Testament is far more severe in punishment than the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, people were just wiped out. In the unfolding of God's drama of redemptive history in the New Testament, they're not just wiped out. God's enemies suffer eternal conscious torment in hell. What about the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16 verses 19 through 31? Jesus says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Then he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of the finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner and bad things. But now, he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Let me just stop there. Notice how many times the word anguish or torment is used. Verse 26 And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Okay, one of the things we see here is that it's fixed. Once a person dies and goes to hell, there's no second chance. There's no chance to, to, to cross the bridge, if you will, to get over to heaven. The, the chasm has been fixed. The eternal fate has been sealed. There's no second chance after death. It's a place of torment. It's a place of anguish. It's a place of no second chances. But notice what continues. Verse 27. He said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. There's the word torment again. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Amazing words. Jesus says, even if someone were to come from hell and be sent back to warn people, It wouldn't be adequate because we have everything we need right now to be warned of the dangers of hell. He says, listen to the law and the prophets. In other words, the scriptures clearly tell us right now the dangers of hell. And so Jesus's main point is don't wait until it's too late until after you're dead when it's too late because you need to to trust in Christ today because that chasm is fixed and is a place of great torment. What about the rest of the New Testament? 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. Paul writes. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. We don't like this image of Jesus coming back in vengeance to inflict justice and punishment on those who have not obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. How more clear could Paul be that if you die without trusting in Jesus Christ, believing the gospel, there will come a day where you will experience the full vengeance of Christ. Now, a lot of times people say, hell is the absence of God's presence. That is not true. Hell is fully God's presence. But instead of being experiencing the grace and mercy and everlasting love of God, it is experiencing the wrath and justice and holiness of God forever. Don't ever think that hell is the absence of God. Hell is the punishment of God in His wrath. God is there in judgment. What about 2nd Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 4? But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing up for themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality and become of them the way uh, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. The demons that have fallen will be cast into hell, into gloomy chains of darkness. And what Peter's saying is, if God did that to the fallen angels, he will do that to those who deny Christ. Those who have not trusted in Christ, their destruction, their condemnation will be eternal. We also find out from the book of Revelation some of the greatest and most graphic and most vivid and most poignant images of God's wrath against sin. Revelation 14 nine through eleven. And another angel a third followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. This is sobering. If you're listening to this radio broadcast, wherever you are, please take note that if you die without Christ, if you have not fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Repented of your sins, confessed Him as Lord, then this is your fate. You will drink the wine of God's wrath, pulled full strength in the cup of His anger. You will experience the wrath of God. And it's described here as torment a smoke that goes up forever and ever. You have no rest, day or night. Don't buy into the cute little pictures from comics that show hell as a place with a devil and a pitchfork and we have the cute little comics. No, it is a place of no rest. It is a place of torment. It is a place of wrath. And it says it's forever and ever. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The lake of fire is reserved also for the devil and for his demons. And it will be a place of torment day and night. What is this lake of fire? Revelation 21, 7-8. through 8. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let me be very clear with you this morning. God will pour out His wrath. And He will do that in one of two ways, but it will be poured out. One way God's wrath will be poured out will be on those who have not trusted in His Son, Jesus Christ. They will experience the full cup of God's wrath forever and ever in eternal conscious torment in hell. The other way God's wrath is poured out, almost... Over 2,000 years ago, God's wrath was poured out upon His own Son. Jesus Christ died as a sacrificial substitute in the place of sinners where all the fury and the cup of God's wrath came barreling down upon Jesus in that moment on the cross where Jesus was treated as the vilest of sinners. God's righteous anger against sin was propitiated, was absorbed in the body and blood of Jesus Christ so that when he died on that cross and he cried out, it is finished. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in that moment? the full wrath of God was absorbed by Jesus Christ for all those who would ever believe in him. So how are you going to experience God's wrath? Are you going to avoid God's wrath by trusting in the substitute who took the wrath for you, namely Jesus Christ? Or are you going to experience the wrath of God in hell forever and ever? Because there is going to come a day of judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Judgment is coming. Do not be fooled by those within the emergent church movements that would want to downplay the reality of hell. They may think they're being loving. They may be think they're being inclusive. They may have these warm, fuzzy feelings that let's just let everybody get along and let's not talk about hell. But let me just submit to you to not talk about the reality of hell is the most unloving thing a Christian can do to you. It may be harsh. It may be offensive to your ears. It may be something you don't want to hear, but the most loving thing I can tell you is that judgment is coming, God's wrath is real, and hell is an eternal place of, uh, of torment. And I don't want anybody to experience that. So in love, in compassion for your soul, I plead with you, I beg of you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. What does reconciliation mean? It basically means that at one point, you were at war with God. You were fighting God. You were at odds with God. You were at enmity with him. Your mind was hostile to God. But through Christ and trusting in Christ, the blood of Jesus has brought peace. There's an end to the war. There's no longer any condemnation. You are forgiven, and therefore you have a right relationship with the Father, God, through his Son, Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake... He made him to be sin, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus knew no sin. He was absolutely perfect in thought, word, and deed, totally obedient to the will of his Father, lived the perfect life that none of us could ever live, fulfilling all righteousness, fully obeying the Ten Commandments. And because of that, it qualified him to go to the cruel cross and to die the death that we all deserve to die. You see, in Jesus, the innocent became guilty so that the guilty could become innocent. For our sake, he was made to be a sin offering. He took upon our sin. He took upon the wrath of God. He was cursed, even though he never knew sin. Why? Why? so that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. We might have the righteousness of God imputed to us, credited to us, given to us as a free gift so that we can stand acceptable before God. Today, the moment you place your faith in Christ and on that day of judgment and forever, forever being reconciled to God. You know, one of the amazing things to me is that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. Never once experienced sin. But there was that one moment on the cross where he did experience sin. And it was not his own. It was mine. It was yours. When he was dying for the sins of his people. Hell is real. Judgment is real. Yes, God is a God of love. Yes, God is a God of mercy and compassion, and abounding in steadfast love and gracious and forgiving. But he will by no means clear the guilty. The only way you can have your guilt cleared not by doing good works, not by trying hard, not by church attendance, not by obedience to the Ten Commandments, not by trying to be spiritual, not by giving your money to good causes to feed the poor or in hunger or, or to help the environment. you cannot clear your guilt in anything that you can do. The only way your guilt can be cleared is by trusting in one who has taken the guilt for you. His name, Jesus Christ. He experienced the pains of hell on the cross, bearing God's wrath so that you and I could avoid the pains of hell and the experience of God's wrath. So dear listener, I plead with you again. Seriously consider your soul Seriously, consider the destiny of your life. Your life is but a vapor. You're not guaranteed another second, another minute. You only have breath because the sovereign God in his mercy and his common grace has given you that breath. You have no guarantees. I'm not trying to scare you, but the Bible's full of stark warnings to the unrepentant. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your heart. You have heard his voice today through the scriptures very clear. God speaks through his scriptures. And God has spoken with a loud megaphone through the scripture of his word that hell is real. So do not harden your heart in rebellion. Cry out to this Jesus for mercy. Cry out to this Jesus for salvation. Come to this Christ for full pardon. Jesus will never turn away anyone who comes to him in repentance and faith. Come to Christ today and flee the wrath to come. Again, this is Pastor Sean with Emmanuel Baptist Church. I know this is a hard message. If you have any questions or concerns or issues you want to talk about, our phone number is 970-522-1440. Again, maybe you have some questions about Christianity in general. We invite you to Christianity Explored. It's a seven-week class that's going to be starting on October 6th at 6 o'clock, Christianity Explored. You can call the church office at 522-1440 to register, or you can register online. It's everyone's welcome. It's a safe place, a non-threatening place to discover the claims of Christianity. Thank you for listening to Abounding Grace, the preaching and teaching ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We love you. God loves you. Have a great Sunday morning.